This is Jeff Chrisman, and I'm here today with Kyle Golding of the Golding Group. Uh, we're continuing the conversation here at Project 3810. Uh, Kyle, what I thought I would do is ask you a little bit about how you got started as an entrepreneur and, and, and what that journey's been like for you over the years. It's been a long journey uh, because I started as a teenager. I didn't know what I was doing was being an entrepreneur. So I, when I was a teenager, 13, 14 years old, I was in a band, and uh, like all 13 and 14-year-old boys, like pretty cool to be in a band, uh, but I was also lazy, I didn't rehearse very much, and I got kicked out of my first band. I got into another band, I got kicked out of that band. But I desperately wanted to be in a band, because that's how you got girls to pay attention to you. <laughs> so, uh, the guys in the band said, hey, um, do you know how to run sound? And I said, yeah, sure I do. And I had no idea what I was talking about. Oh, wow. I had a basic idea of how the soundboard was set up. But I, 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 I didn't know. I didn't take lessons. I didn't, no one had ever taught me how to do it. But I so much wanted to be in the band. I said, yes, I'll be the sound guy. So gathered up all the equipment, threw it in the back of, of uh, my truck. By this point, it was 15. I had a, a, a truck and uh, took it home and tinkered with it until I figured out how it worked. Um, luckily, I'm kind of curious that way. So uh Went back to be the sound guy for the band. And they were my friends, and we were just fine, making, having fun, doing shows for our friends. And then that band started to get a couple of shows in some bars and some places like that, and we would get paid a little bit. And they always had to pay me because I had all the equipment in the back of my truck, and I brought it out, and I set it up, and I did all this work. And eventually, all these guys were playing these shows, and I was making money, and they were never making money because they were young bands. No one, they, they weren't a big deal yet. And I realized, oh, being in the band is cool, but running sound for the band is profitable. Oh, yeah. So I didn't realize at the time I was being an entrepreneur, and I started my own business doing, uh, doing sound for bands and, and doing small shows. I wouldn't call them concerts, but small shows around town. Uh, and eventually uh, got jobs working for other people and working in, in bars and working in clubs. Uh, eventually that led into meeting some of the bands that were kind of touring across the country and stopping into places in Oklahoma City like the Bricktown Brewery and VZDs and the T-Bar back in the day when that still existed. For those of you old enough to remember the T-Bar. <laughs> and uh, uh, would be doing a good job for them and they would say, hey, you know, why don't you come with us? And so I would take off on tours with these bands traveling around the country. Um, and again, I always got paid. And if they made enough money, they got paid. But I always got paid. You had to pay the sound guy uh, because you can't do the show without him. And uh, <laughs> the band always gets paid last. And so I ended up sort of creating a career for myself from the time I was about 15 to the time I was 30 um, in the music industry. And I started off doing small live shows and larger live shows, started touring around the country with regional bands, started doing some things for some national acts, uh, started working on some national concert tours, literally as a roadie, you know, unloading trucks for the local stop, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Motley Crue tours in Oklahoma City. Well, I, go down, I knew everyone that worked at the Myriad, you know, at the time it was called the Myriad, and, and I would get gigs just unloading trucks and then stand in the back of the, uh, the, of the show and watch it and, and get in free. And um, eventually they knew I knew how to run sound, and so I got to be the assistant to the guys uh, coming in to do that. And then before you know it, you have a show where a guy gets sick or falls off the stage or something and they need someone to fill in, and there I am doing my thing, um, getting offers to go on tours. I had uh, my own recording studio at the time, so when I was not on a tour, I was um, recording bands, local bands, and some of those local bands jumped up and had some success. I went on to some 
get record deals and become famous. And so was going out on tour with them and recording for them and for their friends. And it's kind of snowballed into this music industry career of production, uh, recording in production and playing a little bit. I ended up DJing a little bit. And eventually, by the time I turned 30, and that lifestyle was starting to tear on me. And when you're 20-something, touring is really fun. And when you're 30, it's not as fun. <laughs> and my, my last year in the business, I was gone 300 days of the year. Oh, wow. Um, and it was awesome to come back to Oklahoma. It's nothing better than to travel a lot and come back to Oklahoma. Because uh, you've got to slow down, and all your friends and family are here. And, and it was very inexpensive to live here. And, and, you know, when you come from L.A. or London or somewhere like that, and you've just been spending outrageous amounts of money on food and alcohol and gasoline and then you come back to Oklahoma it's like wow this is so awesome um so I was able to have a house here and a, and a recording studio here and so much cheaper than I could have in any of these other places everyone always said you got to move to the coast if you're going to be in the music business I'm like no I can just go on tour so I did that for a long time but like I said by the time I got to 30 that it started to take its toll on me physically and I decided to get out of the music business um I also had an accident I broke my neck um, mountain biking and so definitely couldn't tour anymore the, the physical toll was too much so trying to decide what kind of regular job I would have and I've always been a creative person so I never knew I knew I wasn't going to go work in a cubicle somewhere I just wasn't that guy <laughs> but one of along the way in this whole process I had got my my degrees my communications degrees from, from Oklahoma City University and so I was like okay time to use my degrees and went and interviewed at one of the local TV stations, thought I would go in and immediately become a producer because I had all this experience and I'd managed people and ran my own business. And they wanted me to be the junior cameraman and carry the equipment around and make minimum wage. Mm. That was a brutal blow to me. So trying to decide what to do with myself, one of the things I did the, the second half of my career when I was running tours, I was managing bands, I was doing a lot of promotions, a lot of marketing and uh, a lot of graphic design, things like this, is about the time that, that computers became viable in graphic design before the old days of, of cut and paste and, and uh, photo photography design. And so I, I translated those skills into working in marketing. And so essentially for the last 17, 18 years of that transition, uh, I started working in marketing as a junior graphic designer in a, in a corporate environment, I worked my way up to senior designer and then realized that graphic designer was a dead-end job as far as economics go because, you know, you have to be the VP of sales or marketing if you want to make the big bucks. Those guys drove the nice cars. So I started learning real, the real work up behind design and advertising, marketing, sales tactics, etc., strategy, things like this, um, which is what took me into the last half of my marketing career, the last six to seven years with the Golden Group is working more on strategy, business process development, etc. Um, also, my business partners with the Golden Group, their backgrounds were different, too. They, they weren't marketing people at all. And hmm. so um, I got to combine what I brought in the marketing and promotions and creative side of things to more of their structure and their more of their kind of how business gets done. So they were teaching me about how to, how to be strategic and about how to develop plans and how to really look and plan long term. I was teaching them how to bring creative ideas and, and um, how to think outside the box, etc. to what they were doing. And, and so that's why the, the Golden Group kind of worked the way it did. We intentionally decided the Golden Group was not an ad agency. We were not a PR firm. We were not going to compete like that. There were too many great ad agencies in this town. We weren't going to come in and just knock anyone around. Uh, but we could come in and offer something in between what an ad agency does and what um, a lot of business development 
a lot of business development is legal. It, there's a lot of accounting. There's a lot of legal. There's lawyers. There's a lot of paperwork. And then there's this gap. And then there's advertising and, and mass communications and filling that, that void of now that you have a business structure, how does that translate into audience development, business development, and how does that eventually become your marketing and your advertising and then your sales cycle and then the return to all that in a strategy. So that's the, the, the really short version of this crazy, <laughs> crazy uh, trek from getting kicked out of my first band uh, and not knowing I was an entrepreneur at the time to now uh, running a, a consulting firm specifically for entrepreneurs, for business owners, for startups, et cetera, and, and trying to help them create their best business models. I don't know that when I was that 15-year-old rock and roll kid with the long mop of hair that uh, I would <laughs> be that guy. Uh, but I still get to bring my creative edge to what that is now because there are not very many hard and fast rules for business anymore. Hmm. Um, the business industry, especially communication and audience development and, and how we sell and technology, it's changing so fast and you have to think ahead and be creative in your approach. It's problem solving at the end of the day. It's, it's putting the jigsaw puzzle out in front of you and, and finding the pieces. Um, that's creative process for me and I'm all about the creative process. So uh, some people think being in business development is the counter to being on the creative side it was on, but I find it to be the exact same conversation. Interesting. Interesting. So they really do blend, they, they really are, they do blend together. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, problem solving is starting with a blank sheet of paper uh, and having a little bit of a direction, a little bit of, we have to solve a problem or we have to sell a product or we have to do something for to move the company forward. And how do we do it? Well, again, there's no single path. There's no, it has to be this. Because if that's true, we just read a book and there it is. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> but every business is different. They have different assets. They have different liabilities. They have different situations. The changes around them are happening. They have competitors bigger and smaller, et cetera. And so every business has to make decisions based on who they are and, and what they bring to the table and what their competition is putting up against them. And finding that combination, what you do well versus what your competitors don't do well, finding those slivers where people aren't or where you can go in and literally be the best at it, um, that's, it's problem solving to me. It's, it's, it's finding a creative approach. It's too easy to say, we're going to make a better mousetrap. Oh, yeah. Everyone thinks they have the better mousetrap. <laughs> Everyone wants to start a business with, we'll just do it better. Well, everyone is trying to do it better. So mm. it's not about being better, it's about being different. Uh, and so getting that mindset onto people who've been conditioned to, to do things in a sort of a black and white way, um, is, it takes creativity, it takes pro thought process, it takes um, painting a picture for them and leading them down the path of if you stop doing these things that aren't working and you start doing these things that are working for these different types of companies out in the world and kind of taking little ideas from here and there and putting them into something else, that creativity of not taking everything from Coca-Cola or everything from Nike or everything from Apple, but little tidbits of things that work for them and putting it into something that's brand new, that for me is the creative part of this process. And then you have to scale it down into the nuts and bolts of business. Hmm. Kind of take, kind of, kind of distilling, in other words, taking it you know, as almost, almost like from the, what do you call it, the general to the specific. Yes, huh? yes, yeah. very much. Yeah. And making it specific to that particular business, you know, what their position is in the industry. Um, everything with us starts with position. You know, 
who you are, your strengths and weaknesses versus your competition versus what the audience is looking for versus the opportunity in the market. All that, when you boil all that down, that's your position. And if you don't know your position, then your business is just sort of floating in air and hoping things work. And hope is not a strategy. <laughs> so, um, and not very many businesses become the best in the world on hope. Uh, so finding your position and then really, really, really dedicating yourself to it. Um, saying no to things that are outside that scope and just focusing on that, not overreacting to your competition, not overreacting to changes in the industry or technology or politics or anything like that, but being really specific, uh, really strategic, and really playing the long game mm. works out. Making massive changes on a short game are expensive. And I don't know anyone who's running a business that's cool with being expensive. Oh, yeah. Right? You want to keep your costs down so you keep your profits up. The way you do that is to... Be very surgical into what you're, where you're going and how you're doing it and then sticking to it. You're going to have to make adjustments along the way. Things happen, but they should be really minor adjustments. That's why you know when people talk about pivots in business, you have to really be cautious about pivoting. And you, you can't go into it lightly because it costs a lot of money to do that. Oh, yeah. Unless you have money to burn, you need to make small adjustments along the way, but always keeping your eye on that long-term vision and having the ability to see what that five and ten year version of the company is that's creativity. And that's that's my specialty. That's what I bring to the table um, in what seems like a nuts and bolts type operation. Oh yeah, and that and I was wondering too. Do you sometimes find that you uh, have companies that or organizations that come to you that maybe they've been in business for two years, five years, ten years? Maybe they're not necessarily just starting out and want to do it right the first time. But do you find some in some cases that it's a business that's been that's been going for quite some time, and they're finally at that point where they realize they are ready to take you know as you say take a you know take take a, a holistic look at, at what their position is and, and how you know how to get where they want to be. Absolutely. So obviously we work we work a lot with startups. That's pretty obvious. They need everything, right? But the two other types of businesses we work with are either businesses that are in trouble because they haven't made any adjustments. You know, just our way, my way, the highway, and 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 the, the industry is pushing back on them, or businesses that are doing really well, actually, and it's that last 10%, which is the hardest percent to get. The last 10% is the hardest, right? And getting that last 10%, sometimes you just can't do it yourself. You're just too close to this to it. There's too much of we've always done it this way. It's always worked. Mm. It's not broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. Well, it's not broke, don't fix it, but it could be limiting your opportunity, if you don't examine it, if you don't challenge it. And so there's a lot of that that we do where we go in and help people get that last 10% because we come in with a fresh idea, fresh perspectives. We're not married to any. That's how we've always done it. In fact, our rule is if you say that, red flag. <laughs> and the thing that we ask you about, did you say that's how we've always done it? Mm-hmm. We're challenging it. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. Now, we may end up talking through the process and say, you're right, it should be done that way. But you're not going to slide with that's how we've always done it because it may work. But you, it may be only working at 50%. Oh. Maybe there's more to get there if you were to add to or change the way you're doing it. And then, of course, obviously, pe- businesses that are failing, and a typical what happens when businesses are failing is everything around them changed. Uh, they've been doing something a certain way, and it's been working, but they have different competitors. Technology has changed. The industry has changed. People pay attention in different ways, whatever it is. And they've always competed in a certain way. And everything around them has changed, and they're not changing, and so they're going to nosedive. And mm. That typically, too, is because they have a strong leader who refuses to change. And that strong leader isn't listening to his internal people. But for some strange reason, when they bring someone in from the outside, they listen. 
Ah, got it. <laughs> and, and it was a lot of times what we're saying is what the staff has been saying all along or people internally in the process have been saying all along. It just takes someone, third party, who's not afraid of hurting someone's feelings. You know, we're not, we're not best friends. We're not going to, to lunch together right. every day <laughs> to look at you and go, that's dumb. Stop mm-hmm. doing that. Don't do that. Here's, let, me tell, let me tell you why. And it's not just about name calling, but it's pointing things out to people and illustrating why it's not working. And if they were smart enough to get there to begin with, they're eventually going to find that. Once they get over that ego hump mm-hmm. of, I have to admit I, I was wrong, but once you get over that and you show them the path, and then what you tell them will happen starts happening. Yeah. The first time, a little easier. The second time, lose. By the time the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time where you go, if you do this, these things will start to happen. Once that picture starts to really paint itself... They'll go 100% at it at that point. And now you've accomplished what you need to do. And it's not about, it's my idea, it's your idea, it's the boss's idea, it's the founder's idea, it's the founder's wife's idea. Mm. It's not about your cousin that works here. It's not about the honor of the man who designed it to begin with. It's none of that. It's right. how do we compete in 2018? How do, we, how do we win? How do we make profit? How do we keep our people employed? How do we gain market share? How do we do things that keep the company moving in the right direction? Um, you need sometimes someone from the outside with a fresh perspective to just shake that up yeah. and say, why are you doing this? Hmm. And you can either explain it and you have a grasp of it and you have command of it and that's fantastic, or you can't and now we've got to fix it. Very interesting. I, the last question I was going to ask, and it's, it's interesting, I was going to ask you maybe what the formative, most formative lessons that you've learned in your life or how you've evolved you know, since you started at 15, you know, having your, you know, your first entrepreneurial experience. But it's interesting is I've listened to you talk. I almost get the sense that a lot of those lessons, and there again, this, and I could be completely wrong on this, I get the sense that a lot of those lessons that you've learned along the way ultimately uh, come together and are, you know, that you're, you're helping the clients you're working with today yes. based on those lessons that you learned. I'm trying to help them avoid a lot of the mistakes I made. Number one, uh, but I, I, what I could tell you is all the things I did wrong coming up, I, I see in other people now, and I definitely am trying to head them off from that. Um, I said I got kicked out of my first bank because I was lazy and I didn't practice uh, work ethic, right? <laughs> Dedication, work ethic, etc. And I wasn't looking big picture. I was thinking about today. Like I can go practice today or I can go talk to this girl. I, I, I did the easy thing. I went and talked to the girl. <laughs> um, I also, uh, because... I was always a bright kid. I never had any trouble in school. School was easy. College was easy. I didn't have to study. Like knock out, you know, straight A's. No big deal. So I got I got away with a lot of stuff. I got to slide on some work ethic there, and and from just really kind of earning it. And uh, I got arrogant about it. I was also very very uh, I want to say selfish, but um, very bullheaded, hmm. very determined in a kind of dumb way, like. I've decided this is great, so it's going to be great. I'm the, the sheer force of my will will make this happen. And, you know, it, that thing happens for small victories, but not large victories. Um, I was also really bad at probably control freak a little bit at some point in my career. And so the more that I worked with a large group of people, and the less that I had control of things, and the more I had to be flexible with people, the more I had to adapt and the more that I had to collaborate with a team of people, you know, you can't put on a concert uh, with, by yourself. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and even if you're the head guy at the back of the room, you know, you got multiple people working on different types of audio. You got the lighting guys. You got the pyro guys. You got the guys who set up the stage and tear down the stage. You got the electricians. You got 
everyone is doing their job, and the musicians are doing their job, and, and the backup dancers, and everyone's doing their thing, right? And uh, securities, everyone plays their role. And, you know, if you could think, I'm going to run a whole show by myself, well, you're just going to fail miserably. Oh, yeah. And I had to learn, I did learn those lessons, and the older, uh, came with getting older, too. And then having to go from being at the apex of a career and really being able to, literally being able to people, but I'm the guy, I'm the boss, I'm the owner, I can do whatever I want, to show up when you're told, wear what you're told, here's your, here's where you sit, you go to lunch when we tell you to, uh, you know, within six months of going from I'm the boss to everyone is my boss. Oh, wow. Taught, definitely taught me some humility and some flexibility. And there was a lot of that process where I was banging my own head against the wall, trying to, again, sheer will of force. I'm going to become the next president of this company when I had 10 days experience there, right? <laughs> that was crazy talk, but I had it in my head. My, I was overconfident. Confidence is good, but overconfidence and hubris is bad. I had it in spades when I was a young person. And especially, come like I've been successful. I can do whatever I want. I'm super smart, and everything I do works out. And you know, I got I got the magic touch. Well, great. That's all ego. <laughs> who cares? Because there are a lot of other people who are talented at what they do, and they bring their thing to the table, and they have their experience and their knowledge and their responsibilities. And the more I got with, okay, I don't have to do everything, and I can compromise on things, and I can get half of what I wanted this idea, and some other people have this half because they are coming at it from a completely different avenue. I did eventually somewhere in this process, and I really kind of credit my current business partners, all, all three of my current business partners, with helping me make that transition. Because even my last corporate job, I still was like fighting people. Hmm. Like, you guys are messing up because <laughs> you're not doing it my way. And uh, my way was an educated guess. I was doing research. I mean, I was putting things together like, here's what we should be doing. But when ultimately when that boss said, I know because I'm the boss, which I used to say when I was the boss, I uh, would be so frustrated and mad at them. I didn't want to do that anymore. And, and getting to work with other like-minded people who said, let's not do that and let's also not go and let's go try to compete or we're trying to kill people. And uh, we're going to compete by beating you, but we're going to compete by doing something different and adding something new to the industry and and filling in niches that other people are leaving behind as opposed to going and trying to like, I'm the toughest guy on the block, let's fight. Oh, yeah. Once I understood that, I almost, you know, turned it upside down. Now I, like I said, I take other people's um, negative qualities that used to be in me and I see that in them and then I try to pull it out of them the way it was pulled out of me. Uh, so I definitely everything we do is based on my experience and how I got over that hump. And I had to be shown things. I had to be, couldn't be told. I had to be shown how things went. And I had to be shown in the way I needed to hear it, not the way that person needed to tell me. And so some, everyone learns in different ways and they get over things in different ways and different timing. And, and so my job now is to figure out what it is that makes that person who's ultimately the, the log jam on, on success for a company to make the decisions that are the right decisions for the company and not for them. And typically I go back to how would I have handled this when I was 18 years old and thought I knew everything. <laughs> um, and typically that's the scenario. So I absolutely take every bit of my experience, but also the negative aspects of my experience, plus the positive aspects of the more the harder I work, the more success I had and putting myself out there and, and uh, being open and creative and being open to the creative process, not just the finished product. That was the other thing too. It was like, you know, it's, it's great to have a finished piece, 
But the process not only creates the finished piece, but if you really pay attention to the process, you take so much else out of it. The next time you make it, it's easier. Or the next time you have something that's similar, it's going to be easier. Or you can teach someone in that process. And the next time I don't have to work as hard because they can do part of it. Oh, yeah. All of that comes through from essentially making my own mistakes. But being able to recognize that now in others and, and kind of flipping the script on very, very compelling. It's, it's almost, in a way, I almost feel like you know everything that you share with clients is a sum total of, of where you've been and what you've learned along the way. It's yeah, absolutely, and it goes back to our earlier discussion about authenticity. Yeah, and, you know, it has to come from. Look, I, I've been there. I, I know what you're talking about. I know, and just because at the time I was a 25 year old guy running a, a, a concert series, and you're a 75 year old engineer who's running a manufacturing firm, I know that doesn't seem like they're the same thing. But we're the same guy. You know, we have the same issues. We have the same thing that's holding us back. Hmm. And when I didn't let it hold me back, I found success. So how about we don't let this hold you back so you can find your success? Yeah. It'll be a different type of success, but it's, it's not it, the end result isn't it. It's the process. If you get people in the process and off the focus of the end result, uh, they teach themselves. You don't teach them anything. They teach themselves. Hmm. Very, very interesting. I uh, this is I have to say this has been an, an, an incredibly compelling and enlightening conversation and I uh, yeah I just I really appreciate you taking the time Kyle I really do awesome thank you.